Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Every Arkansan Podcast. I'm Drew Davis, and this week we've got my friend Christy Irwin. She's with Project Zero. Her passion is to see zero kids in the foster care system or waiting for adoption in the state of Arkansas. Hope you enjoy. Christy, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Well, um, I am, first of all, happy to be here. So happy to be here. I, um, I actually was born in Oklahoma, and I moved to Little Rock when I was 15. My dad was in ministry and um, took a position at First Baptist Church in Little Rock. And so I moved here when I was in high school, which was a fun time to move. Um, and then went back to college at Oklahoma Baptist and married a guy from Oklahoma and lived there for a couple of years and then back to Little Rock. Uh, my dad told him, you can marry her and you can move to Oklahoma, but you got to come back before you start having grandbabies. <laughs> and so that's kind of what we did. Uh, but Jeff and I have been married for 36 years, which is crazy. I feel like I'm 36, not that I've been married 36 years. And we have six children that range in age from 32 down to 10. So um, kind of a family circus at our house. We have um, 32, 29, almost 28, 24, 16 and 10 and then we have three grandchildren that are yeah that's a big gap that are four uh two and eight months so just a very full family and uh blessed beyond measure and the question is did your husband make the same agreement with um your children that They've got to stick around here with the, the he, green babies. Well, you know, they, they are actually all around here, which is <laughs> so wonderful. And get to see them almost every day, which is great. So you're with Project Zero. So how did you, with six children of your own, say, oh, I need to help out with a little bit more? What, was, what, what did that look like? Well, actually, Project Zero is kind of um, an evolution to where this all started. Um, and it basically started when I had three preschoolers. Uh, Jeff and I had were kind of in a, a desert time, not spiritually, but uh, he had been moved to Russellville to start a bank location there. And as banks do, they sold off in four months. And we were in this kind of waiting period where we didn't know if we were going to stay there, if we were going to move back to Little Rock, what they were going to do. And during the course of that time, uh, it was a time of spiritual growth, to say the least. Um, and one afternoon, it was a January day in the middle of winter, and uh, my two boys were asleep in another room, and I was rocking Kara, our daughter, who was a year old at the time. And through the course of just singing to her and sitting there, this song just came to my my mind and I just kind of sang it to her and I really felt like the Lord spoke to my heart and little did I know that that moment would transform my life and my destiny uh, like it has but I just felt like he said you know it's time for you to do more than just say you're pro-life it is time for you to put some action behind those words that are often empty the world has seen enough marching and picketing and judging and criticizing. They need to see action. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as I thought about Kara and I thought about her, her life and how blessed we were to have our kids and 
And then I began to think about those kiddos that didn't have anybody and that um, were either aborted or not wanted. And, and I think that's where that all came from. And so over the next few months, we began to pray about what that would look like. And um, I really thought it would probably be birth mothers just simply because I had three preschoolers. It didn't make <laughs> sense that I would jump in with other children. But after a time, we realized that foster care was where we were supposed to be. And so for the next 11 years, we fostered newborns with a private nonprofit uh, Christian adoption agency. Uh, it was kind of like being perpetually pregnant. You'd <laughs> have a newborn, they'd go to their adoptive home, you'd have another newborn. And, and um, it honestly did not make sense. It didn't make sense to our, a lot of our friends. It didn't make sense to some of our family um, because we had you know, three kids under the age of six, and yet we were gonna have newborns coming in and out. And um, so that's where it all started. And Project Zero was a long way down the, the road from that. And I think that's something that's important for a lot of people because they get in their mind, here is what God's called me to do and what it's mm -hmm. gonna look like. And oftentimes we start down a, a trail and God continues to veer it to something else, Absolutely. which is way better than what I've ever planned or, or most people I know have ever planned. Absolutely, that is exactly what happened to us. Um, we fostered for 11 years at, uh, with this, this nonprofit and then uh, there was just a tugging and a, a need for, for change. We loved it there, it was safe. Um, it was, um, it was gut-wrenchingly hard when these little babies left, but they were going to Christian homes for the most part, and it was just, um, for the most part, I mean, some of them did go back to their birth mothers, but it was just a beautiful time, even though it was tough. Um, but there was this stirring, and I knew that the Lord was moving, and so um, we ended up moving over to DCFS and fostering for the state of Arkansas, and we did that for about eight and a half years. Um, and during the course of that time, as we were um, in the trenches, so to speak, with, um, you know, with the kiddos that lived in our home and that were, were ours for a time, I began chairing uh, the Pulaski County Adoption Coalition, which was a group of people that were just, they were passionate about adoption. It was attorneys and adoptive parents and different adoption agencies. And um, they were, we were doing a few things that were cutting edge and, but not, not enough. And so in, um, in the fall of 2011, Jeff and I were in Austin. I had written a book and I was leading a breakout session at a conference there. And as we sat in the audience and listened to pastors talk about caring for the fatherless, um, one of them said something that would again transform my life and my ministry and my destiny. And he said, you know, knowing that there are X number of kids waiting in foster care to be adopted, which now it's about 120,000 in the United States, should disrupt and disturb Christians. If we as believers were doing what we were called to do, there would be zero kids waiting. And I got home and that sentence, if we as believers were doing what we were called to do, there would be zero kids waiting, would not leave me. And uh, Jeff and I began to talk about that. And he said, well, you know, the coalition has kind of waned and it was part of a, a bigger grant that the state had gotten and they were closing coalitions around the state and you had choices you could make about what you were gonna do. We had already become a 501c3. 
he said, why don't, you, why don't you change the name of the coalition? And why don't you call it Project Zero? And I loved it, and I said, that's it. And so in the fall of 2011, Project Zero was born, um, and we became extremely strategic in what we were gonna do. We wanted there to be no question about what our goal was, and our goal was and is to have zero kids waiting in foster care to be adopted. So everything that we do, and we do some crazy things, everything that we do revolves around that goal. Uh, we set out to do, really to do three main things, to raise awareness about the need for adoptive families. I think oftentimes um, people are aware that there are kids overseas that need to be adopted, and they need to be aware of that, mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. But they're not as aware of the numbers of kids in the United States who need to be adopted. Mm -hmm. And so we do that several ways. We have uh, the Heart Gallery where we work with um, with photographers all over the state to photograph waiting kids. We have three of those exhibits that travel the state, and then we have the only online exhibit, uh, photographs, beautiful photographs of kids waiting to be adopted. And then about probably three or four years ago, maybe longer than that now, we felt like um, hearing the numbers, you know, moves you. Seeing that photo compels you, but what else could we do? And so we thought, what better than to allow waiting kids to tell their own stories in their own way and share their own truth. And so we began shooting short films featuring our waiting kids and giving them that opportunity. Um, and it has been profound to see the change that that has made in the lives of waiting kids. The second thing is to build hope in waiting kids and build relationships with them. One of the things that is so obvious uh, when you interact with kids who have been in foster care a while is they lose hope. You know, they, they've given up that anybody is ever going to choose them, that anybody is ever going to think they're enough. Um, and we believe they are, and then some. And so uh, we host an event every month. It can be anything from we have in the spring project prom where we take girls to, uh, to Dillard's. We buy prom dresses and accessories and shoes. And then we have lunch at Big Orange together. Um, and to sporting events, to money management seminars, to uh, we do a Razorback rally at War Memorial Stadium where they just go out in the field and we have people that do games. And um, you know, then we eat in the press box. Outside the box things that kids wouldn't normally mm -hmm. do. And then twice a year we have two huge events. Our Disney extravaganza, which we just had our 11th one in June and then our Candyland Christmas event. And so uh, at those events, we try to get every waiting child in the state to those events. And uh, God has been so good in um, just the way that he has blessed those two events, all of our events, but especially this year's Disney extravaganza, 63 kids met their families in that three hour window of the Disney extravaganza. And, that is not anything I've done. That's not anything Project Zero's done. That is the Heavenly Father setting the lonely in families. And we're just doing our part and putting legs on that. Um, and then the last thing is to help connect waiting kids with the right forever family. I'm a firm believer that we're not looking for any old family for these kids. These kids are not second best. They deserve the very best family out there to meet their needs. And so we work in close partnership with DCFS. Um, I do a ton of one-on-one -on -one, 
uh, with waiting families, with families who are thinking about adoption. Um, we talk with families all over the country um, about our waiting kids, and um, it's just it's just an honor, absolute honor and blessing to get to do this work. Well, another thing I love about what you guys do, you take a, a, a team approach. Um, Y'all actually do a fundraiser that's actually three kind of pronged head of Right. of what's going on in this. Do you mind right. talking about that about for just a second? Walk for the Waiting, mm -hmm. yes. Uh, we just finished our seventh year of Walk for the Waiting, and um, it's a collaborative effort, like you said, between The Call, which is Children of Arkansas Love for a Lifetime. Um, the Call is kind of on this end of the spectrum. They do, um, rec they recruit, train, and support foster and adoptive families. I think they're, I'll probably misquote, but I think they're in 45 counties of the 75 in Arkansas. Um, and so they're, you know, kind of the front end of that, of that line. And, um, and then obviously us, Project Zero in the middle, and then Immerse Arkansas, who um, works with kiddos who are aging out, uh, runaways, uh, sex trafficking, all kinds of vulnerable youth. Um, they are, are mentoring and providing housing and all kinds of other things. And so we come together uh, to do a, a corporate kind of fundraiser, and um, it's been just amazing to get to do that and to get to, to share in that. And it, it so cool to me to see it because so much of the time we in the nonprofit world kind of live in our little bubble right we're kind of up on our mountain doing our thing mm -hmm. and everyone around us doesn't apply but you guys have built a great network with that one of the stories you share is Kyler this is one of my favorite favorite stories, God stories. Um, when Kyler and I met, he was probably about 13 or 14. He had been in and out of foster care since he was three and was waiting for a forever family. He began attending Project Zero events. We had him photographed for the Heart Gallery. And um, his short film was the second short film that we shot out of the, the over 100 we've shot to this point. And um, he and I got to know each other. He would come to events and as time progressed, he would be like right at my shoulder, just with me and, and tell me one time, Miss Christy, I'm your bodyguard. I was like, all right, I may need one. That sounds great. And um, so he would always say, did you bring me my, did you bring me my hot tamales? Did you bring me my Takis and something called jungle juice that kids <laughs> like to drink? I don't know. It's not Kool-Aid. And um, just was a delight. But I knew that because of his history and because of some, some special needs that he had, it was gonna take a very special family. And to be quite honest, um, Kyler was not um, the type of child that would receive lots of inquiries at an event, to be really honest. And so it, it was heartbreaking and gut-wrenching to me to see um, him long for a family and yet have no one step up. So last year at our Disney extravaganza, I noticed um, a husband and wife with Kyler. And I, uh, just as it's a crazy day and I was speeding through there and just out of the corner of my eye, I saw that and I thought, hmm. Th throughout the course of the event, I saw them together several other times. And I could not wait to get to the stack of inquiries for that day, which ended up being over 350, to see if his name was there. And I, I, I literally could not wait. And I'm just flipping through there, and I see in big letters, Kyler. No other name, nothing. And this family's name at the top. 
And I thought, could it be that this family, could it be? And so fast forward, they went through disclosure, which is where, you know, you learn everything about the child. They began to have visits. And last fall, Kyler moved home, um, which was just unbelievable. But in July of this year, I got the opportunity of being in the courtroom when his adoption was finalized. And there was not a dry eye in the house, uh, but especially when he began to testify and the attorney asked him, Kyler, why do you want to be adopted by this family? And he said, because I've been looking for a family my whole life, and they are that family. And what that did for me that day as I walked out of the courtroom is just intensify in my own heart and life what we're fighting for and that it's never ever too late and we should never give up. I don't care if a kid is 21 or a kid is five. They deserve a family. And to see the transformation in him, we actually had the opportunity to shoot a short film about his family that will be coming out sometime in the next couple of months. Um, to see the transformation in him because he's loved and he's wanted and he's not um, in a group home with, you know, a hundred other guys. He's special. And they got to take him out of the state for the first time. And he's been to that beach and he's flown <laughs> and he's, he's done everything uh, that a teenage guy should get to do. And he's thriving. Does he have issues? Does he have uh, things that he's still gonna have to overcome? Absolutely. But he is, he is seeing what he's worth and he's having the opportunity um, to become all God's created him to be. So on y'all's Instagram this morning was actually a quote, and I won't get it right, so I'll just have Tess put it up on the screen, but it said something along the lines of every child is one loving adult away mm -hmm. from a successful life. Right. And I think that's very powerful, whether mm -hmm. you're talking about adoption or just fostering right. or mentoring or any of those things, absolutely. the difference a relationship makes in someone's life. That's right. That's absolutely right. And I, and I think, you know, what is so important to know is there is an urgency to this. Mm. It is not something we can just sit back and say, well, I hope somebody else does that. Um, we're all imperfect and we're all, um, you know, we all have our frailties and our inadequacies. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, it, it causes us to stumble and struggle when we think God has told us to do something, um, but lives are depending on our yes. Mm -hmm. I, I know that sounds dramatic, but it is true. I see it every day. And, um, you know, that can't be emphasized enough. I mean, one of the things that brings home that sense of urgency is the statistic of those aging out of the foster care system. Absolutely. Within 18 months, nearly 80% of those kids that don't have that forever family mm -hmm. in place are going to end up in prison or pregnant, mm -hmm. some cases both. Um, there's something that's missing. I mean, we all remember that moment in school when we were the last picked right. for a team. Right. These are kids that have gone through their entire life, not only being the last picked, but the not picked. That's right. And what a powerful statement is mm -hmm. when, when, Someone comes along and says, I don't care what everyone else has said. I want you. I choose you. That's right. And it, it, it just, like I said, it just cannot be overstated. They are, 
You know, these kiddos are in foster care through no fault of their own. Mm -hmm. You know, and their circumstance is not by choice. Right. Uh, and they're not just somebody's children. These children are our children. They belong to us. Mm -hmm. And I'll take that even a step further. Um, they're not the state's children. The state isn't commanded and commissioned and empowered to care for them. They do it. And I, you know, I, I have incredible friends at the state, and I kind of take offense when people criticize what they're doing when they're not willing to step up and do it. Mm -hmm. We're the ones called to do it. And so if we don't do it, we can't criticize someone else for their faults. And, uh, you know, the, it, it's just, it's not just something at stake. These kids' lives are at stake. And unfortunately, I have um, gotten to see some kids I love age out of foster care without a family and go down a path that absolutely broke my heart. And so, um, you know, we, just, we can't give up until they're all home. Could you share one of those stories? Would you mind? Um, sure. Um, you know, there, there was a, a young man um, who was probably about 16. I had known him for quite a while. He'd been in care since he was nine. And um, we have an event every year at the Capitol Hotel called Dream Big. And it's an event for teenagers where we bring in a speaker, um, we let them have just a really nice dinner and be waited on. And, and, you know, I might just interject, you know, why do we do things like that? We believe at Project Zero that we need to do things with excellence, mm -hmm. that we need to, um, to do all we can to show the value of waiting kids because a world is watching. And what we choose to do helps them see how we value waiting kids. So anyway, I digress. But um, we were sitting at a table at the Capitol Hotel, and I was sitting with about three or four of our waiting teen guys. And you know how conversations go. You're just talking. And it came up that I had six children. And so they're like, you do not have six children. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, you do. Back and forth. So finally I thought, I'll prove it to him. So I got up and went around to their side of the table with my with my phone and pulled up a picture of my kids. And um, this young man, I will never forget it, um, looked at that picture and then looked up at me and he just had kind of this funny sheepish grin and said, you want to make it seven? And I, you know, I got back to my seat and I just felt this tension um, in me saying, we are going to find him a family. We are. And it was just this righteous indignation that just would not let me go. And so I began, you know, just thinking, praying, talking to people. Um, you know, he and I would visit at events and I got to know him better. And, um, you know, bottom line is a family was found to foster him. Um, and allow him to move out of the group home where he was. And it was a great situation. He graduated from high school, um, but it didn't work out. Another family was found to support him, and that didn't work out. Uh, decisions were made, bad decisions were made on his part. Even worse decisions were made on his part. Um, and he would, um, he would call me and one day I remember I was in the parking lot of a shopping center and he and I were on the phone and I said to him, you know, I believe there's, you know, better in store for you. 
I believe that, and just kind of going through this list of all these things I believed, and he said, stop. He said, Miss Christie, I, you know, I don't mean to get all up in your feels and everything, but he said, I, do you know how many times I've heard you say that? And I said, yes, I, I do. I do know how many times, but I said, here's, here's the deal. I have two choices. I can say, this is just too stinking hard. I'm done. Or I can continue to fight for you and other kids like you. And I choose the latter. And we, you know, Project Zero, we did all that we could do. We, um, you know, just recently took him a birthday cake at the apartment where he lives and gifts and gift cards. And um, a few weeks ago, he signed himself out of foster care. And, you know, for me, what does that do for me? It causes me to feel like we lost one. We did not do enough. Um, we did all we knew to do. We prayed, we gave, we worked, but it's not enough because he's not home. And, um, you know, unless God intervenes in a miraculous, supernatural way, his future is not good. And um, so those are hard stories, and they, um, you know, keep me awake. But they also are a driving force for the other 343 kids that I'm fighting for today. And I, mean, I think that's one of the things that a lot of people look at ministries like ours that have been around for a while. Mm -hmm. we, we're not new at this anymore, mm -hmm. but I tell my staff, there's still at least once a week that I'm done, mm -hmm. I need to walk away from this, mm -hmm. because th this is hard. Mm -hmm. Ministry's hard. What, what's something you would tell those people that are either too scared mm -hmm. to get in the game and make mm -hmm. a difference or... Um, they just think, I don't have what it takes. What, mm -hmm. What's something that you would tell someone that's watching this? It's like, mm -hmm. I definitely don't have what it takes to, to step into some child's mm -hmm. life that I don't even know, that has issues mm -hmm. or whatever. <laughs> this may sound weird, but I would tell them, you don't have what it takes. <laughs> you, you honestly do not have what it takes. Mm -hmm. But God is gracious, and he's willing to use those of us who don't have what it takes to do crazy things and to do over-the-top things in his name because when we're not equipped he gets the glory right. and um, you know it, it's what we do is it's I love what you said it's just it's hard and you know it's beautiful but it's hard mm -hmm. and so I would say to people take the first step because you don't know where that's gonna lead but you don't have to know I know with us when we first started the very first placement we had, who he was a two-day-old baby, and he will be 26 next month, which is crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy. But we had him for 10 days, mm. 10 little short days. But I didn't know if I was going to be able to handle him leaving. And we walk in, and we, we're going into this one room. The adoptive parents are in another room, and we hear weeping. And I just looked at Jeff. I said, I, I don't know if I can do this. And we, you know, we made it through the process. He went home, and I was just devastated, which to me now looking back seems insane mm -hmm. because he was going to this wonderful family, and it was a great story. 
But for me in that moment, that was that was my truth, and I was broken, and I was sad, and and the Lord just in those used those moments to teach me one. I love fun and games. I love people to be happy. I my kids laugh and say, "Mom, you're." your spiritual gift is snacks because you love everybody to make sure that they're, you know, that they're covered and happy. And, and that's just my personality. So I love fun and games. And the Lord just said, you know, doing my work is not going to be fun and games. You know, your sacrifice is part of the process and part of what you give to me as an offering in this ministry. Um, And so I think, you know, just taking that first step, and realizing you're not enough, mm-hmm. but God in you, using your gifts, is enough. And so, um, if and and pray boldly. I mean, pray. Um, I love what Mark Batterson says about crazy faith and crazy prayers. And and you know, pray those prayers and watch God surprise you with His answers. Um, because if that's a that's a great place to be. Not that there haven't been many times during this last 26 years when I questioned him and when I wondered, honestly, are you enough? You know, but the, the good thing about God is he is, he's able to take my crazy questions and he's, um, he's a good father who, um, who loves me and wants to use me despite you know, myself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so what's what's the best way for someone that, that's watching this and saying, I want to know a little bit more about Project Zier. What's the best way for them to find out more, get involved? Okay, we would we would love for, for you to visit our website. Uh, one of the things that I think would be really cool if people would just go to theprojectzero.org, click on Heart Gallery, and just pray for those kiddos by name. Um, it also will give you a, a taste of who we are. You can see um, last year's music video that we released for National Adoption Month. You can um, see the short films with Waiting Kids um, or follow us on Facebook. You can keep up with some God-sized stories, some of our needs. Um, we do a lot of, of things for kids. We just recently, um, our supporters bought a bicycle for a 21-year-old who had aged out of care and who needed transportation because of some physical um, you know, situations he has going on. And our people just stepped up in such a big way to do that. You can also volunteer um, and you can email us at info at theprojectzero.org and we'll put our volunteer person in touch with you um, because we love having people pour into the lives of waiting kids. You can never have too many of those people. No, no. Well, Christy, thank you for taking time to come and hang out with us today and to share your story and Thank you for what you're doing for those 343 kids. Thank you so much for having me. It is a a huge blessing to be here. Thank you for joining us on the Every Arkansan podcast. Let us know if there's a topic you'd like to learn more about so that we can help you chase after your God-given dreams. In the meantime, you can like, subscribe, and share this on social media. Check with us next week for another inspiring story of Arkansans chasing their dreams.